all those people. Look at all those crowds. Usually about a million people show up for this event every year in Taiwan. Fireworks, performances, it looks like a big party, but it's actually a religious procession that's underway right now in Taiwan. Now, of course, it's safe to do that here now in Taiwan, isn't it? That's right. Now, this is all in honor of Matsu, the goddess of the sea, and we're going to have an inside look for you in today's show. Also, how would you like a COVID vaccine? We saw more people getting jabs this week in Taiwan, and starting April 21st, you might be eligible to pay for one if you're traveling overseas. We'll have more details for you later in today's show, plus a closer look at the AstraZeneca vaccine. I'm Andrew Ryan. And I'm Natalie So, and this is Taiwan Insider. Big news this week, Taiwan is allowing more people to get COVID vaccinations. Let's start by taking a look at some of the people who got their jabs earlier this week. Don't worry, this won't hurt a bit. Taoyuan Mayor Zheng Wen-tan rolls up his sleeve to get the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine early on Monday morning. It comes as authorities expand eligibility for vaccination. Zheng says he got the jab to raise public confidence in the vaccine. He says he wants to show that it's safe and effective. Central Epidemic Command Center officials Chen Zongyan and Loi Jun also got vaccinated on Monday. Law says that the AstraZeneca jab is only half the volume of a flu vaccine dose. That means that it's less painful. He says he feels perfectly fine after getting the shot. Law suffers from diabetes, so he made sure to check his blood sugar beforehand. Right now, Taiwan has over 300,000 vaccine doses. From Monday, groups 2 and 3 on the priority list can get vaccinated. That includes pandemic prevention officials and people in high-risk professions, like pilots. That's about 125,000 more people than before. One pilot says he hopes authorities can ease quarantine requirements for people who've got the vaccine. He says a year of restricted travel and quarantine has had serious mental and physical effects. He hopes authorities can adjust the rules so vaccinated people can live more normal lives. And from today, Priority Group 4 can get vaccinated. That includes diplomats and athletes representing Taiwan, not us yet. No, I'm not an athlete <laughs> representing Taiwan. Now, starting on April 21st, if you're traveling abroad, you may also be able to pay for a vaccination. Uh, now, this is for people who are traveling for work, for school, uh, for medical reasons, or for humanitarian reasons. And I hear it's pretty inexpensive. It's only 600 NT, about 20 US dollars. Not too bad. And the vaccine we're giving out here in Taiwan right now is the AstraZeneca vaccine. And I know some people have questions about that. We'll be telling you more about that vaccine in today's Taiwan Explained. There's been a lot of news about the AstraZeneca vaccine lately due to recent trials and blood clot cases. And we're going to try to make sense of that for you today. Vaxevria is one of the names of the AstraZeneca vaccine. On March 25th, the company released results of a U.S. trial of over 32,000 people that found it was 76% effective in preventing symptomatic COVID-19 and even more effective for older people. And it was 100% effective in preventing severe cases and hospitalization. Now, who is using the AstraZeneca vaccine? 
More than 115 countries are using it. 25 million people have been vaccinated with it in Europe. But there has been some cause for concern. Yes, this month the European Medicines Agency said that a rare side effect that should be listed is unusual blood clots with low blood platelets. But they say the benefits of vaccination outweigh the small risk. Nevertheless, the agency recommends that people under 30 get a different vaccine if one is available. And the reason for concern is that in Europe there were 18 fatalities from these unusual blood clots. Most of the cases were women under 60. No common underlying condition has been identified. So all of this leads up to the question: Should we get the AstraZeneca vaccine? Yeah, that's right. And I think it's a personal choice.、Uh, you have to weigh the risks and the options. And I think people in Taiwan, because there's not a big risk of COVID, have been a、mm. little bit hesitant. Yes, I because see that. we are not in danger of getting COVID. There's not much domestic transmission going around. That's right. But if you are going to be coming in contact with people that may be Uh, infected. If you're going to a high-risk area, if you're traveling, this might be something you'd want to do.、Uh, again, it is very, very low risk of getting these blood clots or dying from this.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I guess we're going to be talking more about this, and we'll have some links in the show notes below. Also, there are going to be other options available in Taiwan. We're going to get five million doses of Moderna, and also Taiwan is making its own. That's right, and we'll tell you more as soon as we know more. So, what would it take for you right now to enter a crowd of a hundred thousand people, Natalie? Something I'm very excited about. Oh, what's that? You <laughs> want to share? I'm、it? not sure. Oh, it's a secret. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I don't think I would be up for entering a crowd. Not that for、day. any reason.、Mm-hmm. You'd have to twist my arm. So Leslie Lau did, though. He、yes. went down、um, all the way to see Mazu, the goddess of the sea. That's right. This is the annual Mazu procession. It is one of the biggest religious events every year here in Taiwan. And Leslie Lau went down with RTI to cover the event along with hosts from ten other languages. This is what he saw. This is one of the biggest religious processions anywhere in the world this year, the Dajia Mazu pilgrimage. The Discovery Channel says that even in normal times, it's one of three major religious events in the world, attracting about one million people. This is Zhenlan Temple's idol of the sea goddess Mazu. They're taking her on a procession around central Taiwan. This year, they'll travel about 340 kilometers on foot. So it's about 2:15 in the afternoon, and I'm all made up, and we are heading to. Dajia, which is in central Taiwan, and、um, we're going to be giving you live coverage of the Dajia Zhenlan Temple pilgrimage, or at least the first day of it. We arrive in Dajia at around 4:30 p.m., where festivities are already underway. First stop, paying our respects to Mazu at Zhenlan Temple. After all, we're on her turf, and she's the star of the show. The trek is about one kilometer down a street that's packed with people. Vendors are selling everything from milk tea to sausages. My favorite attraction, hands down, is this duo playing saxophone over a karaoke track.
Oh, and don't worry if you're short on cash. There are people handing out free food and drink, doling out dumplings, bread, crackers, buns, and teas. When we finally make it to the temple, we are given priority access to Matsu, who has been loaded onto her ceremonial palanquin. RTI Chairman Lu Ping and President Zhang Zhen lead us in prayer. Just as we leave, other temples around Taiwan arrive at Zhenlan Temple to send Mazu off on her pilgrimage. Each temple performs for her. They bring everything from marching bands to lion dancers. And of course, they also bring the noise. We head back to the stage, and then it's showtime. RTI begins broadcasting in 11 languages. I'm the first to go. My time slot is still a little early, so I might look skeptical when I say thousands of people will attend the pilgrimage. From what I see, I'm just not convinced. But I think Mazu may have noticed, because as time goes on, the crowd just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. This is without a doubt one of the biggest crowds I've ever been a part of. Not only that, but some of the vehicles passing us are like nightclubs on wheels. At 11.05 p.m., Dajia Mazu is lifted off of the ground and her journey officially begins. When the palanquin passes us, it's surrounded by a sea of people. What I see leaves me speechless, and for a broadcaster, that's a pretty big deal. As the procession moves ahead, it sweeps up everyone in sight, propelling them forward. In 20 minutes, this entire crowd will be out of sight. It's hard to comprehend, but this pilgrimage, this force of nature will continue on like this for another 9 days and 8 nights. By the early hours of Monday morning, the procession has arrived in Yunlin County. Volunteers are passing out noodles, soup, porridge and desserts, feeding the hungry procession. So what are people praying for this year? Worshippers say they're asking Mazu to keep people safe and bring rain. Right now, the country is facing its worst drought in 56 years. Another worshipper following another Mazu procession in Taiwan was seen with the words bring rain strapped to their back. Mazu commands a lot of respect in Taiwan. Even police officers will drop everything, pay the respects, and ask the goddess to pass by their precinct. They even help carry the palanquin, all for the purpose of currying the goddess's favor. For me, though, the experience has been unforgettable. The blinding lights, the booming firecrackers, the free food, and, of course, the saxophone duo. But more than anything, it's Mazu's ability to bring this many people together at a time when so many people in the world are so far apart. Joining us now in the studio, back from the Mazu procession, is RTI's Leslie Liao. How's it going, guys? How are you I doing? like your T-shirt. That's from the procession, right? Yeah, this is the uh, the official uh, uniform of the 2021 Dajia Zanlan Mazu pilgrimage. I promise. What does that mean? Uh, that's, that was the theme of this year's pilgrimage. So the theme is to be, you promise to be brave and courageous in a post-pandemic world. <laughs> because <laughs> that's yeah. going to be the change. And we're promising because Mazu has protected us for so long. It's our oh. turn to kind of give back. So the question is, uh, were you brave in such a huge crowd of people uh, at the procession? I'd like to think so. I think uh, <laughs> I didn't think I looked that scared in that VC bar just now. I think I was all right. And everybody was masked up when you were Everybody there? was masked up. Uh, so, I mean, uh, there was no social distance to speak of. Mm. Um, but everybody was masked up. And they even gave us like special 
limited edition Mazu masks, which oh. is pretty oh, nice. Cool. I what about the, the believers, the people that were actually there? What did you see like when you were looking at people and how kind of they were, were they really involved excited? in it? Yeah. I, it? It was everything, man. They were so devout. Um, one of the things that you see is people were carrying flags and these flag bearers are kind of like uh, it's official sign that you're part of the pilgrimage and it's serious business apparently because someone lost their flag and on it they wrote their name they no wrote their oh, address wow. yeah, yeah, and I, they, all they all they're missing was their phone number mm. so like it's like if you lose this flag it's wow. no good but the thing is there was also so many other things right people were coming with performances firecrackers trumpets and like all night long too and for what nine days is it nine yeah. days and then they sleep on the way like at temples and and yeah, um, it's a big deal. So a lot like city governments will open up public spaces for uh, these pilgrimage followers to really sleep in. And then the food is all provided like temples along the way will be Ooh, cooking. free food yeah. for nine days. <laughs> no wonder right. so many people. No, <laughs> over a million, over a million will join along this whole nine day night procession. It's crazy. Wow. So, how much do you know about the Mazu procession? Well, next, Stash Butler is going to give us a quiz about mm. it. So, today we've been playing a brain game uh, called Mazu's Taboos. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like uh, a lot of religious events, um, the Mazu, the Daja Mazu pilgrimage, has a lot of kind of do's and don'ts associated with it mm. for people taking part. Uh, we're going to be focusing on the don't. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to be showing you four pictures, uh, three slides of four pictures, and they are going to kind of represent a taboo associated with the Daja oh, Manzu procession. Great. And we have yeah. to tell you what it is? Yeah. Okay. okay. So you're working together for this one. Okay. Oh, you're okay. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's look at the first slide. Okay. So we see some vegetables. No meat. Uh, the next three days is a Russell Crowe movie. That's right. Oh, somebody looking at their watch. Right. So I think there must be some time when you're not allowed to eat meat. Yes. The three days? The three days. That The three days are in there. When are you not allowed to eat the meat? The first three days? So uh, during the day. During the day. <laughs> <laughs> so the taboo is actually you are, you have to be on a vegetarian diet for three days before the procession starts, oh. up until the end of the procession oh, itself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Long that's time. good to know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Next time. I had no idea. <laughs> She's the goddess of the sea, so no fish either, right? No fish. I'm okay. guessing, yeah. That's what it's also counts as meat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's take, let's take a look at the next one. So in the upper left, we have the new kids on the block. And someone is looking at clothes, like they're shopping. And, and then the there's a big right. uh, red cross out over stacks of clothes. Mm, do those clothes, what do they look and like? They look laundry. like old clothes. Old clothes, yeah. So then, you have to wear new clothes? Yes, well, who has to wear new clothes? The new kids on the block yeah. have to wear new clothes? <laughs> <laughs> so is it the new people joining the procession have to wear new clothes? Exactly. Oh, wow. So this, wow. this is your first time in the procession. That's interesting. You have to wear new clothes, you know, oh, dress up all to sparkly. To honor, for... honor her, right? Exactly, okay. yeah. Okay. Look know. fancy. Look fancy for Madsen, <laughs> Yeah, dress Love up. it. Yeah. <laughs> Any excuse. All right, yeah. Well, let's look at our, our, our final slide. Someone's okay. pregnant. Um, and then there's a little baby. Who's crawling on grass, right? Yeah. Right. So you're crawling there. Okay. Oh, and then what's happening in the bottom two pictures? Someone's crawling and there's a no sign over that, right? So no crawling under something. Yes. What, are, what is it? What are they crawling under there? So is that baby? It looks like the palanquin. So what they carry the Mazu statue around in. No so crawling under the palanquin? Or pregnant women cannot 
climb under. Precisely. Yeah. Okay. Children and pregnant women. Well, just pregnant just women. Pregnant women. The that babies, makes sense. The babies are. Just, I mean, it's kind of common sense. You think. Right. That's not, but so people I've, do that for good luck. I've right? done yeah. this before, actually. You've done you, it before. Yeah. So I went to the procession one year with a TV show, and what you do is you prostrate yourself in front of the palanquin, and it goes over you, bringing oh, you good gosh. blessings. I can't believe pregnant women would want to do that. I know. Well, yeah. I well, think that's yeah, you're not dangerous. allowed. They're Getting not in the happy. middle of the road yeah. on all fours. I mean, great. for obvious reasons, it's not really taboo. It's kind of common sense that. Mm. Uh, but, but they may think that it might bring them good that's luck. True. Right? That's yes. true. So they may, you know, take that's that true. risk. Yeah. So this is a taboo that pregnant women aren't meant to prostrate themselves under the palanquin uh, to I'm get blessings. I'm yeah. glad about that. Too. Yeah, I'm glad about that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> those all, yeah. I, I, all those are all fascinating. I didn't know the one about the clothing one. That's, that's yeah, really interesting. interesting. You've got yeah. to wear the, you know, dress up nice for so months. Yeah. All people are in their new clothes. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. All, all dressed in their Sunday best, I guess. Um, yeah, and so that's today's brain game. Hope, hope you uh, learned something new. Well, I think bubble tea is our national superpower. Yes, it is. That's actually a great way to put it. Look people at how love many it. Who doesn't love it, right? Seriously, and how many people have tweeted about it. That's incredible. Right. And before we go, let's take a look at some of the other stories on our radar. As the U.S. steps up support for Taiwan, Chinese saber-rattling intensifies. Last Friday, the U.S. announced new guidelines for interaction with Taiwan, and Joe Biden has sent three former U.S. officials to Taipei, too. China responded by sending a record 25 warplanes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone on Monday, and it has announced that it will hold live-fire military exercises this week near Taiwan. Has the Taiwan-Palau travel bubble popped? After a year of COVID-19 travel restrictions, the Pacific Islands nation of Palau reopened its doors to Taiwanese package tours. It was supposed to be a chance for people to finally travel abroad again, but Taiwanese tourists are not jumping at the opportunity for a tropical vacation. Several flights have even been canceled due to lack of interest. To blame are expensive tours and the COVID-related rules people have to follow after coming home. Taiwan's largest lake is shrinking. A historic drought that sent water supplies plunging has also seen Sun Moon Lake's shoreline recede, forcing the closure of boat piers and leaving areas once underwater as exposed sandbars. Nothing captures public attention quite like baby animals. Photos of three leopard cats that were born at the Taipei Zoo have gone viral this week. The kittens, born on March 2nd, are the first leopard cats born at the Taipei Zoo in 20 years. They were born to two injured leopard cats that the zoo took in from the wild. And finally today, in honor of the Milk Tea Alliance, uh, our question of the day is, what's your favorite kind of milk tea? Uh, Leslie, why don't we start with you? Mine is something called OG plus QQ. <laughs> <laughs> what's that about? It's a little bit of a code. It's original plus QQ, which is what they say when they put uh, coconut jelly and bubbles together. Oh, that Leslie. sounds really you good. You are the OG, the original gangsta. I'm also the QQ. <laughs> <laughs> you are. All right, now Okay. Mine is from India and Taiwan. It's Thai plus Very nice. boba. Very nice. Very delicious, spicy, and QQ at the same time. Well, I hate to be a downer, but the only <laughs> request that I have is that you use milk powder. Are you serious? Really? That is right. I am Not lactose intolerant. Oh. <laughs> so no real milk for me. Other than that, I don't care what you put in it. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us for today's Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, like us, subscribe, and leave a comment. We would love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week.
This is Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Is Taiwan a safe place? In terms of COVID-19, it's one of the safest places in the world, with less than a thousand cases and only 11 deaths among 23 million people. And we're located right next to China. In terms of crime, Taiwan is the second safest country in the world. That's according to a 2020 mid-year crime index released by the global database Numbio. People do feel safe walking around the city late at night, even if you're walking alone and a woman. But what about our transportation systems? What about our trains? This month on April 2nd, at the beginning of a long holiday weekend, Taiwan saw one of its deadliest train accidents in history. A crane truck rolled down a slope above the train tracks in eastern Taiwan onto the rails, derailing a train just about a minute later. And unfortunately, the train was about to go into a tunnel, so the damage was devastating. 49 people were killed, over 200 were injured. It was the deadliest train accident in Taiwan in 73 years. But just a few years ago, in October 2018, another train derailed in Ilan, killing 18 and injuring nearly 200. That train had also derailed when it sped up around a curve. And the train's automatic train protection, or ATP, was disabled shortly before the derailment. A later investigation found that there were 50 things the Taiwan Railways Administration could have done to help prevent that accident. Methods of training or establishing standard operating procedures and the like. And in this month's accident... How could a construction truck roam freely and park on a slope right above the train tracks? Where is the risk management in that situation? Well, today we hear from disaster risk expert, Associate Professor San Xingyu from National Jiao Tong University, about what the Taiwan Railways Administration needs to change and what Taiwan as a nation needs to change in its safety culture. It's transportation safety culture. Professor San first tells us about the changes that need to be made in Taiwan's railways. Okay, comparing to rapid transit company or Taiwan high-speed rail company, Taiwan Rail Company is uh, an old company. It lacks modernized uh, safety management systems from the construction of the rails, from buying trains from maintenance and operation and so on. So it needs to reorganize its structure and set up a dedicated safety management department and maybe adapt modern safety standards and try to modify its current regulation systems and operating systems so there are cross-department issues can be solved I think currently this is uh, the most important issues that they need to look at and they can uh, do it right away. 
So it looks like they needed an overhaul of their whole system. Do you think uh, that especially uh, regarding the safety management? Yeah. So safety is not something that they value at its core. Then, yeah, unfortunately, everybody say that safety is important, but they didn't really invest money or human power to address that safety issue. So, do you think that anything will change after this accident? Um, we we don't know. Oh, we we keep watching. We don't know because TRA has a lot of burden, especially. It is not a privatized company, so any legislator can have a say on TRA's、uh, organization or how he runs the company,、uh, and so on. So, if TRA wants to change,、um, someone must be authorized to keep up all the interference from, say, for example, other official, government officials or legislators, and have the the, the right to do whatever is needed. And for TRA, that never happens.、Yeah. Do you think they need a change of management, or to become, like I said,、uh, and like many people have been talking about, being privatized?、Mm-hmm. Uh, bef- before that, because if you even if you want to privatize, you need someone to be responsible for the privatization process, okay, and fend off all the the unnecessary in- interferences. So bef- even even if you want to privatize. You need authorization from maybe the president to give you the right to do whatever is needed. So they need a, a complete overhaul, basically, of their leadership、yes. and of their safety system. Yes, whether it's privatized or、um, remain to be a nationally owned company, it doesn't matter. It needs a structure overhaul. Well, do you think that the Ministry of Transportation is also responsible for this? Um. Well, it has some responsibility because、um, the railway safety management is under the Ministry of Transportation, and they didn't have enough safety regulations or safety plans to regulate what TRA should be doing for a construction like this kind. There should be enough plans or regulations that ask for complete, more complete or comprehensive risk assessment. Before such a、uh, construction project starts, there also need to be uh, allocate uh, enough human resources or、uh, or money for such project. But because we we always want an engineering、uh, project to be done with the minimum amount of money, okay, we don't want to waste government's money. So most likely,、uh, the safety is sacrificed. So, what do you think that people should do to try to air their voices? Because you know, you, a lot of us are concerned about the safety of riding on Taiwan's trains. What would you say、yeah. the public do? I think the public should、uh, really look at the whole this whole accident. Try not to blame any single person, okay, for for the accident. It's a systematic problem, so we'll do it in a systematic way. Um, look at why the contractor or the consulting company failed to do a risk assessment, and look at why TRA failed to ask all of these contractors or consulting companies to do such a risk assessment, and ask why there wasn't any money or、uh, human power that has been included 
in any construction engineering project to do that. There are a lot of issues that we can look at, not just focus on, like for example, the contractor is a bad contractor or uh, some, someone's uh, uh, unsafety acts that trigger the whole events. No, it's a systematic problem, so we should look at it in a systematic way. Mm-hmm. Or else, we fix the problem today, then there's another problem that come up tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, and we never fix the whole system. That's useless. So um, do you feel safe riding on Taiwan's trains? Yeah, I still feel safe. Yeah, feel safe. This is still kind of yeah, a, a, a an exception. We, it's not something. Cannot, that... Right. Yeah, we cannot ignore that. You no, know, tens of thousands of TRA workers are trying to ensure our safety every day. Okay, they are doing their job. So this is just a, the, an unfortunate tragedy that triggered by a very very small unsafe act. There is a hole in the system, but there are many other holes. So we, we try to look at the whole system and try to find out these holes and then try to stop it. So do you think that the, the uh, government and the TRA will make reforms going forward? Um, I think they have the will, but I don't know uh, don't whether if they have the required knowledge or skill. They may need to hire experts from maybe from the universities, or maybe they even need to have experts from, for example, from Britain or France, those companies, or, or Japan, okay? All of these companies that are running railways around the world have more advanced safety management systems than TRA. Maybe they should seek their help. That is disaster risk expert associate professor San Xingyu of National Jiaotong University telling us about what the Taiwan Rails Administration needs to change to become safer. Now, it's not only the Taiwan Rails Administration that needs to change in its safety culture. It's actually the whole nation. We'll be talking about that next. <laughs> The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Today with Natalie So. I've been speaking with disaster risk expert at National Jiaotong University, Associate Professor San Jingyu of the Civil Engineering Department. Now, Professor San recently wrote an article in the newspaper about Taiwan's safety culture, reflecting on this accident not only for the transportation sector, but for us as a people in Taiwan. He explains why he thinks people in Taiwan need to change. The direct cause of this tragedy is the Unsafe Act. Okay, now um, most of a pe- most of us or most of Taiwanese people didn't pay too much attention to safety. Okay, we violate safety regulations every every single day. So that's the underlying theme of this uh, of this accident. 
unfortunately, there is no simple way to improve uh, or to culture the, the so-called safety culture. Uh, we need to do this by um, education, basically, but maybe through legal systems or uh, safety regulations. But more importantly, is still the education, especially family education. For example, um, the school education teacher may teach well math, English, uh, physics, and so on. But seldom do any teachers teach about safety. The same thing as the, uh, as the parents. The parents themselves may not be the best role model for the kids, because every day our parents double park or make crazy U-turns while they while, <laughs> while they drop off their kids or pick up their kids from schools, and they feel comfortable with that. And, and this and these reckless reckless acts is is very unsafe, but fortunately, not too many people are hurt by these unsafe acts, so they do it every day. So uh, basically, I don't think if we need to stop that, if we need to have a safety culture, then I'll say let's just start by the parents. Okay, do it yourself. Be good role models to your kids, or else it's like a, it's like a bad gene that passed on from generation to, bad, to generation. We never, never stop that. Mm-hmm. We need to stop it today. That's a very good reminder. I mean, about the way we drive or the way we cross the street. These are little things that could affect other people's lives. Yeah, it's like just like this accident. Yeah, just the little things that slips off, slips your mind, and then the accident has happened. Well, Professor uh, Shannon, it's been great talking with you. And do you have any last words for people listening today? Okay. Um, I want to remind everybody that safety is the thing that you should keep in mind every day. Be mindful of every little act you, you do, okay? Because without these, um, the, the whole country or even yourself can lose important things. And also for the parents, okay, Treat safety as something that is more, most important in the education of your kids. Stop complaining about the earthquake drill or fire drill in schools. These are the drills or exercises that can keep your kids safe. They need this. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Professor San Yu at National Jiaotong University. He's a professor of civil engineering. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Natalie. science and tech news it's stash butler with the download welcome to the download a brand new show from radio taiwan international covering all the latest developments in science and technology i'm your host stash butler and i'll be taking you through everything you need to know in this episode, I talk to Michael Campbell, founder of the language learning app Glossika. He talks about Glossika's unique method and how the company is helping to save rare languages from extinction. All that and more coming up on The Download.
Now, here at RTI, we're all linguists to some extent. That's because everyone working in the foreign section has to be fluent at least two languages, including Mandarin. It's our job. But some people take that to another level. Michael Campbell, the founder of edutech startup Glossika, says he has working proficiency in nine languages. That includes Mandarin, Russian, Korean, and Japanese. And that number gets a lot higher if you include all the languages he's studied, but which he's too modest to claim to speak well. As you'll hear on our conversation, Michael takes an extremely meta approach to languages. And by that, I mean he's not just interested in French pronunciation or German verbs, but how human communication works across languages. With Glossika, he's taken that high-level approach, combined it with some clever algorithms and app design, and turned it into a successful business. Have a listen. So I'm interested to know what Glossika does and how that's changed over the last few years. Basically, Glossika was just founded on the, on the premise to, to provide you know, a, a different method for learning languages that I found would, um, quite useful for myself. And, uh, you know, at the time when, when I founded it, it was, there were a lot of people asking me if I could share materials with them and using the, the method that I use. And so that, that turned into, well, why don't I create a business out of this? Could you explain sort of about the, the method? Cause I feel like you have quite a unique sort of way of learning. Well, I, it's basically just, um, using mass sentences. If you read through a, a lot of sentences in the target language, and you understand them. So if you don't understand them, it's, it's good to have a translation so that you, and it's good to have a translation that's ready to go so you don't waste your time looking up words in a dictionary. And so, you know, one of the problems with reading a book in particular is that some of the sentences could be very, very long. They could be overly descriptive, too many adjectives. And there's a lot of kind of, unless it's graded material, a graded reader, which is helpful for, for, for your level. Uh, you spend a lot of time just looking up words and trying to guess what, you know, what's being said. So it, it really helps to have a native speaker who's already prepared this material. And so a lot of thought went into the product and like, okay, so what, what do I need to make my life really easy out of this product? I need to have a lot of sentences there. I need to have the translations. I need to have them recorded by native speakers. And so that's what what we built into the product. And then there are more and more layers of the product that, that got developed. And so it's like, well, how do I know what level the sentence is at? You know, what sentences should I begin with? Um, what are the structure of these sentences? Can I put all of the, the predicate adjective sentences all to group together in one place and practice just those? Then can I work on like active verbs, verbs with complements? And I, can I have them all structured in, in different parts of the product? And so you know, as I move through the product, I'm practicing all of these sentence patterns in a logical order. Can I permute all of those patterns? And so a lot of effort went into just analyzing, not necessarily the, the grammar of any particular language, but the underlying syntactic structure of human communication. You know, th- these might sound kind of foreign even to, to people who understand grammar, but it's, um, it's sort of like an, it, it comes down to first order logic. And it's like, how do you describe a situation without any human language, but rather using first order logic? You get all of the grammatical elements of any language kind of lining up with each other. So you find that covers, that tends to cover, but it covers essentially the, the base of what you need in, in almost right. no languages. And so even with languages with more, that have more grammatical marking, like Hungarian, you'll find that a lot of the sentences should line up with each other. And that, that's kind of the goal was to have a, use my linguistics background to think about how can I get all of the grammatical patterns in any language with one solution in any language to line up. So, but uh, I mean, the way I understand it and, and having used Glossika, 
what makes it uh, what's different about it is partly that you don't explicitly teach grammar. I mean, you talk about this stuff where you're kind of learning through sentences and these sentences, they characterize all the grammar in themselves, but you're not getting lessons that are showing you this is how you conjugate an accusative feminine verb in, or noun in, in Russian or something. Uh, right. Decline one, rather. You know, I, w- I would think about how would a child pick it up? You know, that they're, they're living the language and they have this desire to communicate. That's one of the challenges with adults is that the, the, the motivation may not be as high with them. And so... They don't have a requirement to use this language as a tool to learn. I mean, I'm sorry, as a tool to communicate. You know, this is, this is why children, they, they always succeed in learning a language because they have nothing else to fall back on. At the moment in the world and with the kind of rise of language learning technology, there's loads of kind of apps, there's loads of websites, there's obviously the famous ones like Duolingo and Rosetta Stone and so on. What makes Glossika different from those? Well, I haven't used any of the other, those tools that you mentioned. Uh, so I can't really speak specifically about what makes us unique. You know, I, I think that every company has a right to build and innovate their products in their own way. You know, I would say that what I'm doing is unique in its own way. You know, I don't know how many other companies are actually doing the same thing, but I think that everybody's going to innovate in their own way. Is there any research into kind of things like second language acquisition that sort of uh, that feed into this at all? Yeah, I, there are some really interesting studies. Uh, for example, the last thing that children learn in any language, I, I guess it's kind of a universal across all of the languages they, they, they researched, is that the last things they learn in any language are, happen to be pronouns. But with language learners, pronouns tend to be the first thing that, you know, everybody wants to learn. They want to know how to say I and you. I've read through a lot of this uh, this research, not just the Stanford research, but other other places that, that helped us, you know, think about how we're going to build the product. And so, it's interesting to know that, you know, pronouns may be the last thing that children learn, but that doesn't really influence how we build the product. There are some things that we may take into consideration, some things that we may not. Because, truth be said, most people would probably be upset if you didn't teach them pronouns, you know, right from the beginning. Yeah, I feel, <laughs> I feel like there might be some complaints about that. Looking at your your company and the, and the and your site and your product, you cover a, a huge range of languages. Yeah, I think we're we're getting closer to about a hundred. Oh wow! But we have several more hundred in you know in development. We, we've built another website called Classica uh, Viva V I V A. We called it that just because we want to give life to languages. We want languages to to live and give them a home somewhere on the internet. You know, so I mean, if if somebody speaks Zulu or Yoruba. They can come and develop that course directly on our Viva platform. Then we can start releasing that. Your product shows certain languages are currently free. I mean, you have a premium version of the site, but some languages are free at the moment. Why? Why those languages? If the language is a national language, that is sort of like a prestigious language, we're charging a fee for it. But then there are minority languages within each country that you know, people don't really have a motivation to learn them, but maybe it's, it's for cultural reasons. Maybe it's for learning about their own cultural heritage. For example, Manx, spoken on the Isle of Man, um, between Ireland and, and, and England, um, the, the language there is, uh, is considered coming back from the, from the dead. So it's apparently the last native speaker passed away a few decades ago, but now there's um, several hundred people who speak it because they've just been revitalizing the language. In fact, I mean, they gave us the material for, for this language and all the recordings, and it's, um, it's probably quite unique to see a, a language learning site like ours to have the language Manx on there. And so it's something that we provide for free because there, there isn't a, um, any sort of monetary motivation to learn this language or 
or even for us as a company. We, we hope that we can provide that for people. So you see yeah. it as a kind of, you're, you're giving back to these communities, essentially. Right. And Scottish Gaelic and Irish and you know, Hakka and, and Hokkien and Catalan as well. And so there was, a, there was a little bit of a debate a few years ago from some of our users. It's like, oh, if, if Catalan becomes a, a country, is Glossa going to charge us <laughs> for, for learning it? Yeah. Oh, if Scotland becomes an independent country, are they going to charge us for <laughs> Yeah, that would be an interesting debate to have. Uh, I suppose, yeah, leave that one uh, unresolved for now. That was Michael Campbell, founder of Glossica, talking about his app's approach to language learning and how his company is helping to protect minority languages from extinction. And that's all we have time for this week. Next week, I ask Michael about the future of language learning and whether Google Translate will put him out of a job. That's next week with me, Stash Butler, on The Download. this week, Taiwan is allowing more people to get COVID vaccinations. Let's start by taking a look at some of the people who got their jabs earlier this week. Don't worry, this won't hurt a bit. Taoyuan Mayor Zheng Wen-tan rolls up his sleeve to get the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine early on Monday morning. It comes as authorities expand eligibility for vaccination. Zheng says he got the jab to raise public confidence in the vaccine. He says he wants to show that it's safe and effective. Central Epidemic Command Center officials Chen Zongyan and Loi Jun also got vaccinated on Monday. Law says that the AstraZeneca jab is only half the volume of a flu vaccine dose. That means that it's less painful. He says he feels perfectly fine after getting the shot. Law suffers from diabetes, so he made sure to check his blood sugar beforehand. Right now, Taiwan has over 300,000 vaccine doses. From Monday, groups 2 and 3 on the priority list can get vaccinated. That includes pandemic prevention officials and people in high-risk professions, like pilots. That's about 125,000 more people than before. One pilot says he hopes authorities can ease quarantine requirements for people who've got the vaccine. He says a year of restricted travel and quarantine has had serious mental and physical effects. He hopes authorities can adjust the rules so vaccinated people can live more normal lives. And from today, Priority Group 4 can get vaccinated. That includes diplomats and athletes representing Taiwan, not us yet. No, I'm not an athlete <laughs> representing Taiwan. Now, starting on April 21st, if you're traveling abroad, you may also be able to pay for a vaccination. Uh, now, this is for people who are traveling for work, for school, uh, for medical reasons, or for humanitarian reasons. And I hear it's pretty inexpensive. It's only 600 NT, about 20 US dollars. Not too bad. And the vaccine we're giving out here in Taiwan right now is the AstraZeneca vaccine. And I know some people have questions about that. We'll be telling you more about that vaccine in today's Taiwan Explained. There's been a lot of news about the AstraZeneca vaccine lately due to recent trials and blood clot cases. And we're going to try to make sense of that for you today. Vaxevria is one of the names of the AstraZeneca vaccine. 
On March 25th, the company released results of a U.S. trial of over 32,000 people that found it was 76% effective in preventing symptomatic COVID-19 and even more effective for older people. And it was 100% effective in preventing severe cases and hospitalization. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.